You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Good morning. I see some familiar faces out there. I saw Dustin this morning. I love Dustin. Used to be in Long Beach. I saw Tom Novak. Hi, Tom. I saw Bruce and May Roberts. A Long Beach reunion over here. It's awesome. I love it. But um, I'm really, really grateful to the Marichis and for all you guys for letting me come here and speak today. Um, it was really, really encouraging, really, really awesome um, to get to do this. And I'm glad that some of my guys from Cerritos came with me. We got Brandon and Spencer and Kyle and his dad's visiting church here today. That's really cool. And Justin, uh, really, really good stuff. I want to share a little bit about myself before I, I share the message today, which is about removing the idols. Um, I was reached out to about six years ago, actually in high school. I was, I was a part of the teen ministry for a little bit. Um, it was really, really cool because I was, I was obviously a, a worldly man. I was, I was a pagan. And I was walking with my friend Dakota, who had been converted about a month prior. And we were walking, and uh, I, I had noticed him changing step by step. And I had noticed him not responding to my, to my sinful jokes and to all that stuff that was going on. So I was just talking to him, making sinful jokes, talking about the women on campus, all this stuff. And we're walking, and then I, I, I just remember him just stopping. And he looks at me one day, and he's like, man, DK, don't you call yourself a Christian? That's what he asked me. Don't you call yourself a Christian? And I was just thrown off. I was like, well, yeah, I've been a Christian since the day I was born. I've been going to church every week. I'm totally a Christian. Isn't that what a Christian does? And then he tells me, you know what? You are totally not a Christian. Let me just, let me just help you out. In fact, let's just meet up after school today and let's study the Bible. And I was like infuriated. I was like, how, you became a Christian last month. I've been a Christian 17 years. And you're telling me I got to study the Bible with you. So I spent, I spent the whole day just thinking of ways that I'm going to like get him. I'm going to show him I'm a Christian. And then something dawned on me. As I was sitting in class and I was walking to the yogurt land at Wilson High School where we're going to have our Bible study, I was like, I don't know any scriptures. <laughs> this is not good. I'm not going to win any debate that happens. And so we sat down and he studied the Bible with me and he told me that God had a plan for my life. And I believed him. I was like, wow, that's crazy. I've never heard that before. I never looked at the Bible and, and applied it personally to my own life. And um, it took me a while to make Jesus Lord in my life, but a year later, um, in January 2011, I became a Christian. Um, it's coming up on five years this January. And uh, thank you. But um, it's been really awesome. I mean, just I got baptized when I was at Cerritos College. There I was able to um, reach out and hang out with Kyle there, help Kyle become a Christian. And uh, as time went on, uh, transferring to Cal State Long Beach, where I graduated this past May. And um, at the end of my time at Cal State Long Beach, uh, Ruben DeAnda, he leads our church, he asked me to stay on and come on staff and help lead the campus ministry. So now that this, this is what I do, I guess, part-time. The other part-time, a coach. I had a track meet yesterday. It's really fun. So uh, this is kind of what I do. That's kind of a little bit about myself. And I know you guys are doing a, uh, a lesson series called Generous. And uh, today we're going to be talking about removing the idols. Let's see if this thing works. There we go. So my first point today is to ground them into powder. We're going to be talking about idolatry and the attitude that we have to have towards the idolatry that comes up in our life. I know for me personally, when, you, when you're preaching about idolatry, you've got, you got to do the whole entire Bible study. You've got to read it. And, and you start thinking about the idols in your own life. You know, I know for me, I've been just kind of a conscious and aware, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, I think that my default pattern is idolatry. 
I think where I go, if I don't make an effort to be close to God, if I don't make an effort to connect, I naturally go to idolatry. That's just, that's just me, that's just where I go. And this lesson really helped me out, and I hope that you guys can kind of take something from this lesson as well. But the good news is that the Israelites from the very beginning have been prone to idolatry. From the very beginning, from Genesis, Exodus, the whole entire bit, the Israelites have been prone to idolatry. Um, in Exodus chapter 32, we see Moses go up to the mountain and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And when he comes down, the Israelites are worshiping the golden calf. Um, we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. The Bible reads, When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf towards, and he took the calf that people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered, scattered it in the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you? that you led them into such great sin. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron said. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So we see from the very beginning, from Exodus, God leads these people out of Egypt into, uh, into the promised land. Oh, they're not the promised land yet, but he leads them out of out of Egypt, and the people's first response is to build a golden calf and to start worshiping idols and to take the glory that was supposed to go to God and give it to a man-made golden calf. And uh, isn't that like us, though? You know, can you think of a time in your life where God did nothing but good things to you, lavished you with blessings, and your response was to go and to just worship something else, to give glory to something else. I know for me, uh, I was studying the Bible in high school my last semester, and I kind of wanted it, but I kind of didn't want it. So, I mean, I would, I would sit down and have a Bible study and immediately go and, 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 and get with a girl or immediately go and get... I, I got a lot of my sins, like, for instance, getting drunk. I remember getting drunk repeatedly while I was studying the Bible in high school. The first time I ever did drugs was while I was studying the Bible in high school. I just missed the point, and, and, and I was being shown how good God is, and, and I was responding by doing sin. And uh, it's crazy because Moses, he, he chooses to do something really crazy here. He takes the golden calf, and he burns it, and he grounds it to powder. There's something different about, what, about his response to idolatry. You know, it wasn't just enough to just put it on the side and, and, and then rebuke the people. It wasn't just enough to just cut off the calf's head and whatever. It wasn't just enough to break it to pieces and throw it away. He ground it to powder. And then he puts it in the water and makes the Israelites drink it. That's kind of crazy, okay? That's, that, that's actually ridiculous. But I think that Moses did this. He, he did this to remind the Israelites that you should never do this again. Never again will you worship idols. It's a horrible thing to do. It has no place in God's kingdom. In fact, if you guys know the Ten Commandments, you guys know what the first commandment is? You should have no other gods. No other gods, right? And they didn't get to read the first commandment because it was broken and they didn't get to learn it because, you know, they messed up. But had they not sinned, they would have known that this was God's very first. This is the first thing that God wanted his people to know about him, was do not worship any other idols, do not worship any gods. Yet the Israelites did not learn their lesson. They did not learn their lesson. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, 
um, we see that the people still do not respect God as their king, and the people still want, want more from God. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, and the Lord told him, he's talking to Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Just a little bit of background. The people are asking Samuel to give him a king, despite the fact that God has given them judges, and, and, the, and despite the fact that God himself is serving as their king. Verse 8, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. And this is really crazy here as well because we see that even as time goes on, different leaders, different people, now they've been firmly established in the promised land, it still is about other gods. God is still not enough. The people still want something more from God. You know, I know for me, being a disciple, uh, being a Christian for a couple of years, I was like, you know what? I need some money. Being a college student is not easy if you don't have any money. I need some money. So I got like three jobs, started missing church repeatedly because God wasn't enough for me. I started dating this girl and I became super interested in what she thought about me, obviously, way more than I cared about what God thought about me. And the idea was that God just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that God had given me salvation. God had given me life. God lets me live in this awesome country, be in an incredible church. I needed more from God. And we see how much God hates it. He calls it rejecting him when we want something else besides what he has already given us. Um, but that's not the end of it. Israel goes through idolatry throughout the whole entire Old Testament. In fact, God does give them a king, as you guys know. He gives them Saul. And after Saul's David. And after David is Solomon, his son. And Solomon has a very important role. Solomon's role is to build the temple. And, and he builds the temple because Israel had been worshiping at these random altars all across the land. And God says, no more of that worship. I'm going to build an incredible temple. The first part of, first, of Second Kings talks about this. And he builds this immaculate, wonderful temple that took a very long time to build so that they, so the, all of Israel can come together and worship in the temple. And um, however, the Israelites responded by making these things called the high places. Uh, if you guys don't know what the high places are, the high places were basically a place of idol worship. They would go and worship the Baals and Moloch and Asherah. They would sacrifice their children, make other sacrifices. They would, there was prostitution that went on. And there were local high places all over Israel, all over the place. King after king came after Solomon, and some of them built high places. A lot of the evil kings of Israel built high places. And, um, you know, the people would go and worship at these high places instead of going to the temple. And the crazy thing is that if, if, if you've read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, there's only like a little blurb said about each king. It talks about whether they were a good or evil king. It talks about how long that they reigned. And it talks about whether or not they destroyed the high places. That's the only thing that's said. That's the whole entire test as to whether you're a good king of Israel is did you destroy those things or not, right? And um, we see that there were 39 kings that came after Solomon. And guess how many actually even attempted to destroy the high places? Close. It's, it's on one hand, though. Four kings. So 90% of the time in Israel, there were kings that not only didn't destroy these, but also went and worshipped them. 
right? And two of them kind of did a wishy-washy job, right? So it was really two kings that actually succeeded in destroying the high places, okay? And so we're going to fast forward all the way to one of the last kings of Israel named Josiah, and we're going to read his story. But God hated the high places. That is known. God hated them. He hated idolatry. He still does hate idolatry. It burns him on the inside. And we're going to read about a king who took God's call seriously. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 13, says the king also, this is King Josiah, desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on, on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashereth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Shemosh, the vile, sorry, the vile god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, I don't know what was going on at Bethel, but that was a big deal because even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Josiah was the only king that understood God's heart. Josiah was the only one who got how much God hated idolatry and how much God hated the high places. He destroyed all. I mean, Solomon built the temple, and then he goes, turns around and builds like three or four high places. He didn't get it, even though he built the temple. I mean, Solomon is, one of, is the first king when the temple was built. Josiah is one of the last ones. So we're talking like 35 kings go by, and nobody touches the high place. Nobody touches the high place. Jeroboam was right after Solomon, the one at, uh, the one at Bethel. No one touches that high place. Nobody got it the way that Josiah did. Right? And only Josiah saw it the way God did and destroyed all the high places. He could have said, it's not, it has nothing to do with me. It's not my high place. I didn't build it. I'll just worship God and kind of do my own thing. But he saw it as his responsibility to destroy the, the high places and to have no idolatry and to ground it into powder. Guys, we got to destroy the high places in our lives. You know, I, I, I define the high places as something that God has a great conviction about that I don't share. Something that God is so passionate about, right? What is God going to say about us when we're gone? What's the little blurb that's going to be written about us? And is that how we're living our lives? Is that what we're focused on doing? Right? I can think about some high places. I was, I was kind of thinking about it this morning. What are some high places in my life? I think sometimes the way I speak, I'm prone to just putting people on blast, making fun of people, slandering people. I don't have that same conviction that God has. I can think about, um, I care way too much about what, about what other people think about me. Last week, I was sharing my faith on campus at Cerritos College, and I, I'm sharing with this guy, and I'm walking with him, and we're walking past like a high school student orientation. And I mean, these are high school kids. There is no reason I should be afraid or even care what these high school kids think about me. But there was like 30 of them, though. So I was like, mm-mm, hold on. I want to just come over here real quick. So Jesus, and uh, you know, I'm just like, what am I doing? 
Why do I even care about, I mean, I'm sharing with a college student, I'm afraid what the high school kid thinks about me. But it is what it is, it's just a high place, something that I just need to get a better conviction on. You know, I can think about, I can rely on myself way too much, idolatry of self, right? I just take care of stuff on my own, I don't need God, I'll pray about it later. And these are just some of the high places that I've kind of built up over the last, I guess, 22 years. It's building them up, having these high places. But God hates the high places. And he's looking for someone who's going to come in and ground them to powder. Not just put them to the side, not just worry about them later, but ground them into powder. You know, I look at my guys over there at Cerritos, and I I just see, like, man, this ministry is all about destroying the high places. Uh, I love Cerritos Colors. The first week of school, we we all sat down and thought of a plan. We said, you know what? We usually have one Bible talk a day the first week of school called Rush Week. We call it Rush Week. We just storm the campuses. If your school hasn't started yet, you come to a school that has started, and you share your faith like crazy. Actually, um, one of the brothers in Long Beach City came to Cerritos, reached out to a guy, gave me his number, and he got baptized, like, last week. So Rush Week is a really encouraging time. And so um, we decided, you know what, let's not have one Bible talk a day this time. Let's do something crazier. Let's have three Bible talks every single day of Rush Week. So there's four days of Rush Week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we had 12 Bible talks the first week. And you know it's Rush Week, so then like, because, you know, community college, everyone drops their classes like instantaneously. So Rush Week is just where you got to be at, okay? You got to be the first week of school. People will come because there's just way too many people there, right? So we just share our faith like crazy. And we had some of these guys like Justin. It's his second day of school, and he's leading a Bible talk that didn't have like four people there. It wasn't one of those practice Bible talks. Had like 30 people there. And Justin is sitting there his first week of school sh- preaching the word to these people. And it's crazy. We have Spencer over there doing the same thing. Brandon, I- I'd say half the group had never even participated in a rush week before. They even know what-, what it was about. A lot of them had never led a Bible talk. And they came on campus. They shared their, I'm, I'm sure the high place of, but I'm so much younger. I mean, Justin was 17 years old at the time. I'm so much younger than these people. Wait, but I- I'm in college now. I got to focus on school. What about that? Oh, man, but you know what? I got classes. Let me get acclimated to this whole thing. I'm sure there's so many temptations to just not do it. Fear, all of it. But these guys came out, the whole ministry, nobody complained. They came out. We did 12 Bible talks that semester. I mean, that the first week of school. One of the guys became a Christian a couple weeks ago. It was awesome. But just so encouraging to see that there's something different about someone who destroys the high places. There's just something different about someone who thinks the way that God does about idolatry. And it's convicting, and it's encouraging, and it, and it changes. So let me ask you guys, what are your high places? What is the area in your life where you've chosen, you know what, I'm going to be comfortable. Because part of the reason people went to the high places is because there was one temple. And for a lot of people, it was far away. But you can just go to the local high place and worship Molech, though. You can go to the local high place and worship and, you know, do the astral poles or whatever. There was a lot of different options. And so a lot of times it just came down to convenience. What are the areas where you're choosing convenience over righteousness? What are those areas for you today? And are you willing to ground it into powder? Yes, even that high place. The, the first thing that came to your mind when I said idolatry, that one. You got to ground that one to powder, right? That's what God wants. That's what God is really doing here. But, um, you know, it wasn't just in the Old Testament. My second point is you got to have zeal for God's house because Jesus in the New Testament dealt with, the hype, with, the, with idolatry as well. It wasn't just the Israelites. I mean, we're going to go to John chapter 2 here, 1,500 years after the golden calf. 
Okay, so we're talking generation after generation after generation after generation where people continually worship the idols. And we just see here that Jesus was still dealing with it. Uh, in verse 13, it says, It was almost time for Passover. Jesus went to Jerusalem. It was in he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. He went, so he made a whip made out of cords and drove all sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. We see Jesus, he, he had a different perspective about idolatry. Something that I want to kind of bring to us today. Jesus didn't go to the high places. He didn't go to where the, to where the Gentiles and non-Christians and all the evil people were. Jesus didn't go and find the golden calves and stomp them out. He went to the temple courts. He went where all the religious people were at. He went to the people that were supposed to have got this whole thing figured out. Right? Because I think that Jesus' point was that sometimes the greatest forms of idolatry are committed by the religious, by us in this room. We have the worst case of idolatry. You know, these people, they had seen the Pharisees for years and years and years. They'd seen how the Pharisees lived. They'd seen how the Pharisees worshipped. Yet only when Jesus, think about this, when Jesus came on the scene, this is the only time that they thought, oh my gosh, zeal for his house will consume him. My goodness, they thought of the scriptures when Jesus was on the scene. In the midst of religion, one man stood out just like Moses, just like Josiah. Only one man stood out. And the people's first thought was, oh my goodness, this guy is following the Bible. Once again, there's something different about people who feel the way God does about idolatry. You know, there's someone in this church that I'm like, you know what? They feel the same way that Jesus does about idolatry. And that's Dustin and us two people, Dustin and Catherine Peckman. You know, it's really, really cool. I love Dustin and Catherine because a lot of these teens that came up from the teen ministry, they were actually uh, in Dustin and Catherine's teen ministry in Long Beach. And if you talk to them for 10 minutes and tell them, you know, who are the most influential figures in your life? Not even 10 minutes, like one minute. They'll tell you, oh, Dustin and Catherine. My, my, my parents, the church, Dustin and Catherine, they always led us back to God. They always taught us this conviction, that conviction. They felt the way that God felt about everything, right? And it's just so cool to hear that about Dustin and Catherine. I'm just like, I'm grateful because they brought in three guys who I think, quite honestly, transformed the whole Cerritos College campus ministry. Three guys who, who had conviction, who had zeal, who came in, shared their faith, studied the Bible. And it's because people notice whether or not you destroy the idols. People notice whether or not you're willing to overturn the tables. You know, and Dustin and Catherine was a very positive example. They, the teens noticed, and I'm sure the, the teens still do notice here in South Bay, that, that, that Dustin and Catherine are people after God's own heart. But people will also notice if you do not do that. People will also notice if you allow the, the idolatry to stick. People will also notice if you don't ground it to powder, if you don't turn over the tables. People notice it one way or another, right? And I think that you got to ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he came? What table is he overturning in your life? If he walked in right now, to what area of your life would he say, enough, enough, get it out of here, get it out. I need to be first. 
What's that area of your life? Where does Jesus need to be Lord? Where does Jesus need to be first? I know, like I mentioned, for me, in, in most college students, it comes down to, you know what, I really want to study and, and, and I really want to do A's and this God thing is kind of a hindrance. You know, and we got to decide to put that first. I think working a lot of times, like I said, I battled a lot with my, in my Christian life with just putting that first and trying to make money for me and putting that first. I think, you know, for a lot of us, I don't have any kids. I don't have a wife. I don't have any of that. But for all of us who do, I'm sure that's a battle. I'm sure that's something where it can be, oh, God, but my family. You know, what makes you tick? Is it God? Is it your family? What is it? What's the most important thing in your life? You got to ask you that. If it's not God, then you got you to put it to the side. You got to destroy it. You got to turn over that table. You got to put Jesus first. And I think that it's, it's crazy because like I said, I think that us religious people, us people who are supposed to know the truth can be the biggest sources of idol worshipers. And we've got to destroy it. I mean, it's a really cool story in John chapter 4. It's a couple pages over. In John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 8. All of the slide says 21. We're going to start in verse 8. Um, actually, we're going to start in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritan women. With, I'm sorry, with just with Samaritans, period. So Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, and he, he's asking her, hey, look, I want you to serve me. I want you to do something good. I want you to worship me. And you're going to see this as, as we keep reading the story, but her answer has nothing to do with doing good things or worshiping God. It has to do with custom has to do with culture. It has to do with religion, right? So her answer is, oh, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not allowed to do that. My religion says I can't really do that. If you go down to verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Sir, she's, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Joseph? who well and drank from it himself, and as did also his sons and his livestock. So Jesus is asking her, okay, look, I'm going to give you some living water. This is it. This is the time. He's going to come into her life. She's going to be transformed. She's going to be his disciple. And, and all she can think is, wait, but, but, but Jacob built that. And are you greater than, I don't know about this. This is, uh, I don't know here. I mean, this is, I don't know, right? And this is, this is her response throughout the whole thing. Go to verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, she replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the is coming. 
comes, he will explain us. Look at this interaction. Jesus keeps telling her spiritual truth. Jesus keeps trying to get into her heart and transform her. And her response every single time is, wait, but, but the mountain, my people worship here, your people worship there. But, 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 but Jacob, but there's this Messiah that I once read about that's coming. Right? How many times in our life do we, instead of focusing on our hearts, instead of focusing on us, we're focused on our religion. We're focused on what we're supposed to be doing. Right? It acts as a mask to connect, right? An example of this, I mean, you know, sometimes you ask the question, well, you know what, how's your evangelism going? Well, you know what, you know, no one's asking to be in a Bible study in like a month, so I guess, you know, I'll just, I'll just wait till someone asks me. Oh gosh, I think it's spinning on me. Hold on. Get this right here. There we go. Amen. Anyway, so, anyway, so you ask yourself, mm, mm mm-mm. I don't know how to work this thing. Uh, whatever, I don't even think it matters. Go ahead, Gina, get us. Get us here. It's all good. There we go. There we go, just get rid of it. I gotta destroy the high places. That's the high place. Anyway, and so you can ask yourself, well, you know what, I, I, I haven't been in a Bible study in a while because no one's asked me to. The church hasn't asked me to. My group hasn't asked me to. What does that have to do with your evangelism? What does that have to do with how God feels about evangelizing? Does it matter whether anybody asks you to be in a Bible study if God says go and save this lost world? How are you doing in your generosity, right? That's the series we're in, right? Generosity, giving to the poor. Well, you know what? I mean, I give them $52 every year. That's pretty good that the church kind of puts it on and I just do it. Well, what about outside of that? What about how God feels about the matter? You know, I think that our religion and our church, while it's good, obviously we got to come to church. Obviously, we're all religious people here. It is what it is. However, we can start thinking, oh, well, this right here and that right there, this mountain, that mountain, and stop thinking, how am I doing in my heart? How am I doing? Is Jesus Lord of my life? Is this how I'm living? When I wake up every morning and there's something that comes up, this feeling that says, I don't want to share my faith, do I destroy it? Do I ground it to powder and do the will of God? Or do I just let it stifle me? Do I make excuses? Do I, do I point to the church as to why I haven't done this? There's not a program for this. Or there's not a program for that. You know what I'm saying? I think that for me, that's convicting because I think when it comes to the poor, I can just kind of have that mentality. Oh, well, if we have the day on hope this year, I'll come. I'll paint a house or whatever. I'll pass out stuff to the poor that someone else made in package for me. I'll just show up and do it. And then I'll go home. And that's my service to the poor. There we go. And when they call me again next time, I'll be there. But that's not Jesus' heart. That's not his heart. That's idolatry. That's worshiping your religion. That, that's kind of doing your religion instead of doing Christ. Does that make sense? And, and, we, and we have to destroy that. Jesus came in and he turned the tables over and he, and he kept on asking those penetrating questions to this woman. And he, and he didn't settle for the religious answer. He didn't settle for, oh, well, I guess that's the stumbling block. I can't do it. He said, you got to worship. And she ended up going and she ended up being a great disciple. But I think that we really have to destroy the idolatry that comes in the form of religion. We have to destroy it. And so I have a solution. I have some practicals, okay? Practicals. Number three, how do we get rid of the high places? How do we destroy the, the, the idolatry, the golden calf? We've got to fix our blank on Jesus. And now what's the blank, right? You guys can, I mean, okay, there's three blanks. You guys don't know. You guys will let me, it was a rhetorical question, okay? I should have said that. I, I didn't say it, but you guys are good. You guys know where I'm going with this. You know, there's a lot of areas in our lives that we have to fix on Jesus, right? 
we have to fix them. It's different for everybody, but we got to fix different things in our lives on Jesus. I think the first thing is we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I think the first thing, right, is we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. I think that the very first thing you got to look at is, okay, how's my Bible reading? Am I even paying attention to Jesus and his words? Do I even know what, what makes God tick? Do I know what makes God angry? What, what makes God mad? And if you don't, you got to read your Bible. And even if you do, you got to read your Bible because that's how we fix our eyes on Jesus. Things, too many times we can just kind of skip and not read or not connect or just kind of do it because it's, it's, it's a part of the religious schedule. And then we wonder, man, why are all these things first in my life above Jesus? Why am I even in this spot? How, has anyone ever felt that? How am I even here? I'm over here in some crazy spot because my eyes weren't fixed on Jesus. But I think the very first thing, the first practice is that we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to be reading our Bibles. We've got to be looking at the scriptures and what he says for us. But it's not just our eyes that have to be fixed on Jesus. That's only practical number one. Number two is we've got to fix our thoughts on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So now that we're looking at Jesus, what changes then is that we got to start thinking about him. How do we change our thoughts? How does that even happen? We've got to pray. We've got to pray a ton. Like I said for me, and you guys might relate, my default's idolatry. I wake up in the morning, and if, and if I don't read my Bible, if I don't pray, I'm going to be doing other stuff instead of worshiping God. And so you got to read our Bible. We've got to be looking at him. We've got to see how Jesus lived when he was here. We've got to read the scriptures, but then we've got to be praying. We've got to be talking to God. We've got to be getting our thoughts off of work and our kids and our schoolwork and all that other stuff and get it fixed on Jesus because that's all that matters. If you don't have time to fix your eyes on Jesus, what do you have time for? What are you doing otherwise? If you don't have time to fix your thoughts on Jesus, what are you doing? And I can battle with, I think the reason that I battle with idolatry is because of this right here. I gotta get my thoughts, I gotta get my eyes fixed on Jesus. And the last thing is that we gotta set our hearts, fix our hearts on Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the Word of God reads Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. You know, what is your heart desire? What does your heart desire? Right, we got to figure, okay, is my heart fixed on Jesus? Do I desire in my heart what God desires, what Christ desires? How do we do that? How do we fix our hearts? We're already, we're already praying. We're already reading our Bible. How do we fix our hearts on Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 3, it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from, from the living God. So our heart tends to turn away. And what's the solution? Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need each other. Otherwise, our heart turns from the living God. Otherwise, we start putting things in as Lord of our hearts that isn't Christ. Christ has got to be Lord of even our hearts, not just our eyes, not just our thoughts. But we've got to fix our hearts on Jesus, and we need one another. We need to be together. We need to worship together. 
We need to be in each other's lives so that our hearts do not become hardened, so our hearts do not turn from God, rather that they turn to God. And so we look through this study here and we see that there's a lot of different kinds of idolatry to close out. You know, there's the golden calf, that big old obvious golden calf that needs to be destroyed, that is just obvious. You just know it. The second I said idolatry, you felt that thing, right? Destroy it. Ground it to powder, right? But it's my family. We'll ground it to powder. No, I'm just kidding. Do not ground your family to powder. Don't do it. But you got to put God first. And that's what matters, right? It could be the high places, the areas in your life where you say, you know what? I don't have God's conviction in this area. My conviction is not the same as God's. This right here is more important to me than, than it needs to be. And I say to that, you got to ground it to powder. You got to destroy it. You got to make sure that God is first. And then we have religion, right? I'm sure all of us can relate to that one, being disciples, right? Religion, this idea that, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go through the motions because I'm supposed to, but I'm not going to connect. I'm going to do what I do as I please and go, kind of go through the motions. And to that I say, you know what? You got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You got to see how he did it. You got to fix your thoughts on Jesus. And you got to fix... Huh. I forgot the last one. Let's go back. Hearts! There we go. You guys are good. You got to fix your hearts on Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.